Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome back to the Feathered Desert, and today we're going to talk more about bird food. We're going to focus on suet. The name of this podcast is Bring on the Suet. I was going to name it Suet Breakfast of Champions, but either one of them works well. So we're going to talk about suet, and Cheryl is going to start us off and tell us what exactly is suet. So <clears throat> suet is actually rendered beef fat. It's actually Yum. kidney beef fat. And for whatever reason, it's very attractive to all birds. It's 94% fat content. Pure suet is a very desirable high energy food for wild birds. And it's the best suet for birds is a high quality rendered uh, beef kidney fat, like I mentioned before. Um, in this area, um, suet melts if it gets above 85. So we'll Kirsten will talk about no melt doughs that have rendered kidney beef fat in it. Rendering is important because it kills bacteria and allows for a higher melting point. So there's different types. So there's a pure suet, which is plain rendered fat, not as desired by birds. It doesn't sound good to me. Mm -mm. And is very rarely offered as a feeder food. But then you get suet blends. And um, the fat blends have other ingredients such as nuts and insects, grains, fruit, um, three levels of protein from depending on how expensive um, the suet is. Some of the lower, uh, least expensive uh, suets have um, cracked corn or milo or millet or wheat, which have less nutrition. But sometimes you're not you're not supplying the birds with nutrition. You're supplying them with fats. And suets is important in cold weather. The birds need burn a lot of calories to keep warm, and they need that fat. Um, also, they need it for migration. So when they're going to or from or when they've just gotten into a place after migrating, they need to put those fats back on because just like us, they need a certain amount of fat to keep their hormonal balances balanced. Exactly. So and then um, so there's low protein, medium protein, and high protein. And just like with um, the least expensive, the more expensive the suet gets, the higher in nutritional content it is. Um, and obviously, the more nutritional um, in content the suet is, the actually better it is for the birds. And the more variety you're going to get. There's fruit suets, um, most expensive because food is added and food is expensive. So you should uh, check the ingredients for dried fruit because some of the less expensive fruit suet will offer artificial coloring and flavored juices, and birds can tell. So, they can. And they won't eat it. And then it's, you know, money not well spent. So look for dried fruit in um, ingredients. And like with our, as Kirsten will get to with our Nomad Dells, or on the, um, the colder climate, my WBU stores probably sell suets, and they're going to have the dried fruit in them, like raisins, blueberries. Uh, some of them have cherries um, and <clears throat> nuts and things like that, walnuts and almonds and Peanuts, very little grain. Stuff good enough for us to yes. eat. Yes. It sounds really good, doesn't it? Like a trail mix. Yes. <laughs> it's a wrapped in peanut butter. Except for that rendered beef fat. <laughs> yes. That's kind of keeping me away from it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness it doesn't smell. Yes. Can you imagine that smell? That would yes. not smell good yes. at all. Okay, so then 
like I said, we go, we're going to go from suet to um, no-melt suet, and Kirsten's going to tell us about that. Yes. Here in our desert southwest, the no-melt suet is the most important. Uh, we can get into the 50s sometimes for our winter temperatures, so you could certainly do a full type of suet, uh, a non-no-melt, if you wanted to do it in the wintertime. But pretty much once those, you know, three weeks of winter are over here, then you should be using a no-melt suet. And this is, it's still suet, it's still good quality. But the reason we offer it is that it is rendered in a way that its melting point is 115 degrees. So thankfully, that's yes. pretty much as high as it's been here in the last few years in the summer. If it gets higher than that, I'm not even going to put suet outside yeah. because I'm like, birdies, you just, you're on your own. I'm not yeah. going outside. But that is good. So you want to look for that no melt. No melt suet is also referred as suet dough or no melt dough. So if you're looking at for the no melt options and you see something that says suet dough or no melt dough, then you're in the right place. What they do is they add a little bit more cornmeal and some roasted peanuts in the fat tallow, and that increases the melting point. So it helps it um, hold together a lot better. And this will also come in the blends, just like Cheryl was saying about the, the plain suet. Uh, it'll come in different types of blends as well. And you can find it in different shapes. So uh, square cakes is very typical here at the WBU Mesa store. That's one of our most popular is our square cakes. Uh, you can find them in small cylindrical plugs as well. That has to go in a special feeder. And then there's larger cylinders that come with the no melt dough as well. And then there's suet balls and then the little nuggets. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that when Cheryl discusses our bark better, our bark butter, uh, the little nuggets that are available. So here in the valley or anywhere where it gets 95 degrees or above, you need to be offering a no melt suet or a no melt dough. And that will work really well. When my mother started feeding birds when I was just a wee one, we lived in Texas and they didn't have no melt suet yet. And we would put it out and it would hit 95 degrees and it would start dripping and melting. And our dog would be like, yeah. And he'd <laughs> run out there and all we see is our dog's face in the ground, chugging it down. And boy, did he love it when it was going down. And then about 30 minutes later, he'd come in the house and he'd be like, oh, I don't feel good. And then he'd gack up all over the living room floor. So I definitely suggest in your hot areas that no melt suet will save you and your pets yes. from a <laughs> gacking incident. <laughs> so we're going to go back to Cheryl and we're going to talk about bark butter, which is something specific to the Wild Birds Unlimited stores. It is. Uh, Jim Carpenter, who is the founder of Wild Birds Unlimited um, nationwide, so the United States and Canada, um, he Pat came up with this uh, formula, and bark butter is a patented formula of suet um, that can be spread on the trunks of trees or specialized feeders. And you just apply it like you would regular peanut butter and um, with the back of a fork on tree trunks, tree branches. Um, you can put it on rocks, depending on... Um, we have used it to entice... Um, birds to uh, hanging waterers mm. um, or to different feeders. If we're trying to move birds from one feeder to another, you can put bark butter on that, the edge and they'll see, because they're so attracted to it, it's so pat palatable 
that they will go to um, a feeder and you can introduce birds to different seeds and stuff by enticing them with the bark butter. It is known to attract over 120 to 140 birds, different bird species throughout North America. I would love to have 120 birds in my yes. backyard. 120 but, different types yeah, of birds. But it's yes. different types of spe bird species. And the, what's really interesting is that um, Jim Carpenter was trying to attract the brown... Um, brown creeper. Brown, brown creeper to his, um, into his yard. And that's how he did it, was with the bark butter. But that's what started his thinking. Well, what would attract this bird? Because he was very fascinated by it to his yard. And that's how he came up with the bark butter. And they almost gave up. It took um, four tries to get it right. And in the fourth try, they did get it right. In the Southwest, um, here in the Southwest desert, we recommend only using this. Like Kirsten mentioned before, it is sensitive to temperature, the bark butter is. I'm using this in the winter weather because it has a low melting point and it does not um, withstand the 115 degree temps. So um, you can use it until about 80, depending on whether it's in the shade or the sun. Um, and then then refrigerate it because it does keep till next fall or yep. next November when it drops below 80. Um, or use it in the early morning and hope that the birds eat it all because it will melt. Um, but we do have it in a form moving from bark butter to something that is year-round use. We can go to bark butter bits. And these are small nuggets of suet about the size of a shelled peanut. So for me, uh, adding bark, bark butter bits to your um, array of bird feeding um, foods, it's like putting a bowl of peanut M&Ms, except the green ones, <laughs> in a room full of teenagers and then having them go at it because that's what what the birds that's what will happen oh yeah it is it gets very exciting at my house as well yeah butter bits uh with the added cornmeal that increases the melting point um they don't melt they can go up to 150 uh degrees but they won't last long enough because usually it's 115 <laughs> in the afternoon and trust me you put them out in the morning they're going to be gone they put them out at nine, they're gone from 11, at 11. So they never actually get that far. Um, it can be used, like I said, it can be used in the summer months and it's an excellent addition to yard, um, to your yard bird feeding um, during nesting season as parent birds will pick it up, um, pick up pieces and even the full little bit and take it back to their young um, in the nest because it's palatable and um, it's very attractive actually to insect eating birds and they'll pick up little bark butter bits like the um, curbill thrasher and they'll actually feed it to their babies. So I can actually see a mom's going back one, two, three, four, five times, you know, and sticking a bit in everyone's mouth. <laughs> sticking a bit in everyone's mouth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you want to mention feeders, we don't really have a bark butter bit feeder. We do have a bark butter feeder but you can add bark butter bits into most blends or you can use a cup feeder um stick it out there in a cup on the patio and trust me it, it yeah. will be gone one of the ways jim actually uses his uh that he talks about in uh his book that he wrote the joy of bird feeding he actually just puts it on his deck on yeah. the deck railing and it's gone in 
in, in pretty much 30 minutes, really. Once the birds know it's there, it's yeah, pretty much him. gone. They watch him. It is some great stuff. I've seen cactus wren come yeah. to my backyard and they take that little uh, nugget, they fly away with it, and, and it's hilarious because it's so big compared to their beak, but they're like, I'm taking it, I'm taking the whole thing. Yeah. And they just fly <laughs> away, and I know that they're um, gonna eat it, and now that it's during uh, nesting season, they're giving it to their babies, yes. which is and, wonderful. And I wanted to ask you about when I was talking about bark butter, did it work with your burden? It did. And it's an interesting question. Uh, I did see a little verdin, which is one of our little small birds here in the Southwest, actually eat the bark butter off of a Palo Verde tree that I have in my backyard. I did not expect that because they're mainly sweet birds. They like to eat the fruits. But they went right to that and pecked a little piece of it off and they came back and did it a couple other times. I have also heard that people have seen Anna's hummingbirds eat the bark butter off yeah. of trees. Yeah. And I actually put mine really high up in the tree as far as I could get without using a ladder. And I scraped my fork up there and I was really hoping that I was gonna see an Anna's hummingbird. <laughs> I never saw it, but that's when the Verdon actually took it, was yeah. real high up there and just a little small uh, swipe of it. And yeah, so it, come, it attracts cool. so many different birds that you can't attract to feeders, which was Jim's whole point with yeah. that brown creeper who is pretty much eats only insects. That's why he ended up making it in the first place. So if you haven't tried the bark butter yet, please go to a WBU store, get some bark butter, some bark butter bits. You're really going to enjoy it. So we want to talk about what attracts suet and no melt dough. And that's kind of what we were talking about right now with our bark butter bits and our bark butter. And essentially it will attract the hard ones to attract to your feeders, which are insect eating birds. So we just had that discussion about the cactus wren, the curb-billed thrasher that Cheryl mentioned, woodpeckers. You can even attract warblers if you have it out during migration season and the verdin that we were just talking about. So this just reiterates that if you put out this bark butter, it's going to give you a whole new array of different types of birds and give you a great way to add something new that you haven't done yet. And Cheryl was talking about feeders. There are specialized feeders specific to uh, bark butter, um, but you can also use different ones that you may already have. If you have a peanut feeder, bark butter, one of those, the peanut feeder that is a mesh a cylinder, bark butter actually works in that. I have mine hanging right outside my yard, did it this morning, put the uh, bark butter in there. It fits actually almost better than those halves of peanuts. Some of those peanut halves fall out, but the bark butter sits nicely in there. The birds pull it out very easily. I have seen thrashers pull out a whole uh, sphere of the bark butter bark and, butter bark butter oh, bits. sorry, the bark butter bits. I apologize. Bark butter bits go into that peanut feeder and I've seen them pull out a whole little nugget. And then I've seen the finches break up the little nugget and take out the little pieces. That works really well for that. Um, uh, I believe Cheryl mentioned it too. You can put it in uh, a bowl feeder or a tray feeder and uh, you can use all those different types of things. For the bark butter itself, you can use it right on the uh, tree bark. I use it on a Palo Verde actually, but it does not have, it has very smooth trunk, doesn't have craggly bark and it actually does stick on there. It works really well. But if you do have a tree like an oak tree that has that craggly bark, it works really well and it'll keep them there for a long time because they're going to get down in those little nooks and crannies exactly where that bark butter has smeared in there. And there's also a specialized feeder that we have here that most of the WBU stores will carry. We do carry it here at Mesa. And it looks 
um, just like a piece of wood with little circular pieces uh, bored into the side of it. And you just slather it on there. So if you don't want to put it on your tree, some people don't like to see that oily residue on their tree trunk, you can use one of those feeders as well. So we do have one more thing we're going to talk about with our suet. And it's not exactly suet, but it's kind of related to a specialty feeder. And this is talking about mealworms. Yes, mealworms. And another thing to attract insect eating uh, birds to your yard, um, mealworms. Now, we, there's two types of mealworms, dead and alive. So live mealworms, which I've never um, used. Well, I fed my bearded dragon mealworms, but um, other than that, it's 20, 22% fat, 18% protein, and 2.5% carbs. It's highly desired by all insect-eating birds and omnivorous birds year-round, almost all birds during nesting season. Uh, dried mealworms, 32% fat, 49% protein. Wow, it's a big difference. Between... It is a big difference. I never, I, I don't understand why just... they would be dried and have such a big difference in yeah. protein, but... Um, that's a good question. 6.9% carbs, less desired than live, but more desired by people because I don't know about you, Kirsten, but I'm not crazy about putting live mealworms out there because um, I don't want to touch them. That's but, the problem that most people have. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, less desired by live, but are readily eaten when offered. And I can attest to that, and I have several stories. Can easily be added to other seeds and suets and can be found uh, loose. So we sell we sell mealworms in cylinders with seeds, and we sell mealworms, uh, dried uh, mealworms, in um, bags that most WBU stores do. Some WBU stores on, on, in other areas might sell the live mealworms, for us, we don't carry live mealworms, not because our birds wouldn't eat them, but because it gets so warm here that they quickly go to those beetles, because that's what the mealworm yes. is from. And then you, we end up with a, a can of beetles instead of a yeah. can of mealworms. And nobody wants to add in that kind of bug to the yard. So we only carry the uh, dried mealworms. Um, but mealworms can also be mixed with uh, dried fruit, or as I said, with a seed in a cylinder and attracts uh, insect-eating birds such as cactus wrens, the abertohi, curbell thrashers, and hard-to-attract birds such as the roadrunners. And I have had, well, from October till about the end of February, I had a young roadrunner in my yard. And in order, uh, it visited every day between, I would say, 7.30 and 10.30. Every morning, it's like we were on its route. And um, he had came into the yard almost every single time the same way and left the same way. So it's like he was running a track. And I didn't want him to, uh, him or her, to bother my birds because, you know, they're omnivorous and if it got really desperate, it would eat a bird. So I decided to offer it mealworms. And I actually have never offered mealworms in my yard before. But this roadrunner scarfed up the mealworms and not only that, but Kerrville Thrashers and Abert's Tohies um, also in, enjoy the mealworms. And I'm keeping the mealworms out because I'm using them as a distraction for my grackles. Nice. My grackles are munching on my dried mealworms over in the corner, and they're staying away from my feeders and my other birds. Um, we do have feeders for mealworms, um, specifically uh, open cup mealworm feeders, like open dishes. We have two feeders that are specific specifically specially designed 
or the ground holds for mealworms. Also, you can mix um, uh, peanuts with mealworms in this feeder or bark butter bits in this feeder. So it has options. All right. Great. All right. We're going to do a quick wrap up, wrap up about when to offer suet and the no melt dough before Cheryl gets to her plant spotlight. So this is going to be mainly here in the Southwest area, but it does apply to everyone around the country. Um, as long as you're using a no melt dough or our bark butter bits, it can be offered year round here in the Southwest, but they do seem to go through it faster in the winter months because of those extra calories. And that can be life-saving, especially here in the desert where we're not used to having a really cold snap when it gets to 32 degrees or even in the 20s at night, these birds have to make it through the whole night. So if they have the, that extra suet to help them get through the night, they'll help them survive. One of the best times to do it is actually to start, if you don't wanna do it all year round, is to start during migration season. So the beginning of spring, start putting it out and then leave it through nesting season because it will help the mothers build up the reserves that they need to form an egg and then to lay it. And then also um, up till fledging season, it's great for, as we were discussing, giving the parents an option to feed their babies. And you can just do it then and then you can take it back up. You don't have to feed it through the summer if you don't want to. The birds tend to not eat quite as much of it during the summer because it is so high calorie. And in the summer, they're trying to stay a little bit cooler. So sometimes they will leave that suet alone. Then you can start doing it again at the beginning of fall, which is migration season, which will help them fatten up here on their way down south. And uh, many people will feed it out in the summer, but here in the valley, one of the things you do have to think about is white winged doves. Once those white winged doves have come back um, after spring migration, they are really attracted to that suet. I'm not 100% sure why, because I mean, they are an omnivorous bird. They eat everything, but they really do seem to be attracted to that suet. And I know that Cheryl takes down her suet in the summer because it attracts too many white winged doves to her yard. So that is an option for many of you. If you don't want to feed it during the summer, you don't have to. Those of you who would like to feed it all year round, just make sure you're getting that no melt option. Yes. All right, Cheryl, tell us about our plant spotlight today. Well, I was on a butterfly kick. So okay. my plant spotlight for um, uh, this segment is desert milkweed. And I'm so excited, Kirsten, that you introduced me to this plant because I just recently purchased two desert milkweed plants. I put them in a corner of my yard that I don't even look at. And they've already, they were only about 12 inches high. They've, they're probably about um, 16 inches high. So by ignoring them, they've grown four inches. Nice. <laughs> and I had three monarch butterflies in my yard um, in the month of April. Now, they didn't find my milkweed, but I'm encouraged because they will eventually find my, milk, my desert milkweed plant. And what I like about this plant is that it's this nearly leafless succulent milkweed is one of the hardiest plants you can, you can have in your landscapes has slender gray green stems that grow vertically to four feet from the, four feet from the base, the, the ground tall, um, spreads about two feet wide, uh, blooms spring through fall, these flat top clusters. Now mine haven't uh, bloomed yet. I don't really, they're not really tall enough to bloom yet, but I'm very excited to wait for that to happen. Um, flat top clusters of pale yellow um, flowers top each stem. 
Um, it does need a uh, good uh, drainage and full sun. It doesn't like a lot of water. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's the perfect blessing. desert plant. <laughs> it's a stately looking plant when, when it's in its, in its own. And it's a great around pools. People are people looking for a plant that is literally leafless to put around a pool that not only provides some aesthetic, but helps um, native um, wildlife. It's the perfect plant. It's plant, perfect plant for around pools or in courtyards or walkways where you don't want a lot of leaf litter. And it attracts not only the monarch bu butterfly, but it attracts all kinds of butterflies that are native to the Southwest. I mean, you can't go wrong with either of the plants. No. And just to add a little bit, that milkweed is actually the host plant for the monarch and the queen, which we have here, yes. which means that they will lay their eggs on it. And if you have one of those larger plants, they won't eat it to the ground. They're just going to eat a little bit of it. They'll lay one or two eggs and that's it. That's all they lay. Monarchs do not lay a bunch of eggs on one plant at one time. The queen's the same. And you'll, if you're lucky, you'll get to see the whole life cycle of the butterfly. You'll see those wonderful caterpillars that are white, black, and yellow striped. And beyond... Don't pluck them. Don't, they're good. Yeah, they're don't good. pluck them off. They're good. They'll only eat a little bit of your plant. Your plant will survive. And I wholeheartedly support the desert milkweed. I think it's a fabulous plant to add to your yard. Yes, and I'm very excited to watch mine grow. I'm going to plant more on the other side. Awesome. I am. Well, thank you guys for listening to our podcast on suet, and we are eager to talk with you again next time. Yes, thank you.